Once again, welcome. It is such a delight to see all of you once again. And I, I want to begin this morning by sharing with you just a experience I had uh, last Friday evening. Last Friday evening, I was, um, the sun was setting and I was in an area, and some of you in Flagstaff might know this area, uh, near Sandy's Canyon. You know, there's that, that trail that, that goes through Sandy's Canyon there. If you go off of, I think, uh, Lake Mary Road there. And I was hiking up the trails with my partner, but we were hiking in silence. And I was hiking up, we, we were hiking up this section of the trail that was north facing. And, and so there was still quite a bit of snow on the trail as we were hiking up. And I, I remember just as the sun was setting, it was quite cold. The air was this crisp, cold quality to it. And the other sound that was poignant was just the crunching of the snow underneath my feet as I, I was walking. And one of the things I, I love to do, especially outdoors, is to, uh, it's, it's like I'm tuning into or sensing into the silence that feels like it's pervading that environment and also pervading the entirety of my experience. And I want to be clear, yes, there were sounds like the crunching of the snow, yet this silence felt uh, like the silence that encompassed such sounds, like it was a deeper silence that the sounds were coming and going from. And, and as I continued to open to this deeper silence, uh, it really began to be so touching. You know, I, I could feel my heart being touched and moved in a way that, you know, as said in this path, that, that, that is onward leading. So what I mean by that is, is like, I could feel like the, the heart and mind release to a certain degree. And the word that would describe that experience, you know, or experiences like that for me in that moment was this word sacred. It felt sacred might even use the word divinity. And I, I think that word resonated because it had these flavors of awe and wonder and mystery and touching something that felt such, uh, so much larger than myself, than that little self. And some of you might be able to relate to this. Maybe it was in a, in a meditation or out in nature like I was or on retreat and you touch a kind of silence or stillness or even peace. And maybe this word sacred fits for that experience. And I don't mean that it has to be some kind of deep, deep meditative, profound experience, but just that taste of that where something opens, you know, sacred, that this word, you know, that which is worthy of veneration or is holy or deserves reverence. And in theistic religions, it's connected with this notion of God, whatever that is. <laughs> and as I said, it could happen just for a moment. And at this point in my talk, you might be thinking, 
Am I on the correct Zoom link this evening? <laughs> Isn't this a Buddhist group? What's up with this? What's 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 up with this like sacred divinity? Like, uh, is this the the right group here, or or did I get the, the numbers wrong? Clicked on the wrong link. And I want to acknowledge: yes, it is true. We we don't find these words in Buddhism, especially early early Buddhism. And yet tonight, what I want to share with you is that there's something that I found important to find that word or that phrase that captures another dimension of experience that can really allow the heart to relax, release, and the mind to release. Because that's uh, much of what this path and practice of the Dharma is about, is allowing for the heart's sure release, is, is, is one phrase that's used. It's the, the Pali term, uh, chetta vimutti the freedom of the heart, where there's a disentangling in some way, an opening. And some of the practices, the classical practices that you find uh, in, at least in, in early Buddhism, you could say, I think one way of languaging it, this is the way I'm going to do it this evening at least, is, is that I, I do certain practices so that my heart is touched and moved in a certain way. I'm, I'm perceiving the world in a particular way. And then my heart gets touched and moved in a way that allows for letting go, like the classical ones is perceiving impermanence. Okay, I perceive impermanence so I can start to come to terms with that and to allow the heart to release and not grasp as much. Or to perceive, to be touched and moved by the unreliability of experience, to really get that. Not to intellectually understand it, but to be moved by it so that we change the way we are in the world. And then the other classical one is perceiving the selfless or coreless quality of experience in a way that leads to freedom, to, to letting go. So as I mentioned, this experience that happened Friday evening and many other experiences, and I'm saying that the words that come closest to me is this word sacred, maybe divinity too. And when I use those words, I want to be clear, I'm using them poetically rather than factually, and I'll, I'll come back to that, what I mean by that, that they have a poetic power and they're, they're functioning in a poetic way to open up something in my experience in my, my, uh, on this path of the Dharma. And and the interesting thing is around this, and I just want to give a little bit of uh, clarity around this, is that you know the experience I had that evening or on similar occasions, I could say that the impact on the heart was so similar to experiences of kind of tasting the selfless nature of experience or you know the, the fixed self fading away and the kind of letting go that happens with that. And yet those words like not self or non, a non-dual experience or simply experience of love, they kind of fit, but not as much as this word sacred or divinity. It's like that word sacred opened up a different dimension to experience. And I want to give, you know, later on, give some exa examples of this. And I think it's because the experience had different flavors in it. And some of, some of these flavors you might be familiar with, with these kind of heart opening experiences that you've had. The, the sense that I already mentioned of awe and wonder, touching something much vaster than me, a sense of mystery. And strangely, it felt like the silence was alive. 
Like, again, that would be the word I would use. And yeah, even the word sacred doesn't completely capture the experience, but it, it opens something up. And so please remember this. I'm going to come back to this dynamic of a word opening up experience, a different dimension of experience that can be so important for this path of the Dharma. And I also want to point out the conditions that were there, right? Like when I was hiking up there, my mind, there was, there was a quality of presence. It was a little bit more calm and collected. There was not so much reactivity in the mind. There was space. So I wasn't like on my phone or computer. <laughs> Those of you who are on the study group, that's the great thing about, we're, we're talking about refraining from technology at times to open up the space for something different to emerge. And I also want to point out that uh, uh, on a just a side note, because I want to tie it to for, for some practitioners, that uh, for some practitioners, sometimes the word sacred is used not so much around silence. Actually, these can be folded together, but around just the, the experience of being aware, of mindfulness, of presence. But sometimes, and some of you might be able to relate to this, that there's something, uh, something that feels sacred about just being present. Like just being able to hear the sound of my voice coming and going. Well, there's a, there's a sacredness to that, to just witnessing experience. And Meister Eckhart, the, the 13th, 14th century Christian mystic, speaks to this, of course, in this Christian language around the sacredness of wakefulness. He says, the eye with which I see God is the same with which God sees me. My eye and God's eye is one eye. The eye that sees he's talking about and one sight and one knowledge and one love. Isn't it interesting? It's like the activity of seeing. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a sacred activity. It's the, the activity of something that Meister Eckhart is calling God. So I feel like these experiences can align with a classical, this classical path of the Dharma in the sense of that it's a path that leads to the heart's relief, release. And yes, I'm using a very different word here. So what's up with this? How could this be important? This word, sacred divine. And I want to be clear. I think probably most of you know this, but maybe you're worried. Probably not. But I'm not here to try to get you to believe in God or start to using the words divinity or sacred. And if you want to, that's great. And if you believe in those things, I think it's wonderful. It's, it's, I'm, I'm, I think that's uh, in many ways the, beside, beside the point. And it's not even so much to have these particular experiences that I'm talking about, but to invite you to expand the language and dimensions of your spiritual exploration. And to utilize kind of language in a way that opens the heart. And at the same time, I'm also being clear when I use this word sacred or, or divine, I'm not saying all spiritual paths are the same. Because I don't know all spiritual paths. I don't know all religious perspectives. And, and so I can just share with you what I know about this path of the Dharma. 
so I, I want to be careful there that I'm not I'm not making a, a grand statement uh, in terms of that. So let's do, slow down with uh, a bit of how language can function in this way that I'm pointing to with this word sacred. And yeah, language can hinder practice. This is something that's so common uh, on spiritual paths is going beyond language and yet, uh, and how it can confine and conceal. And yet what I also wanna point out is how it can reveal certain aspects of experience. And I wanna give you one example of this. And it's just a, a slight shift of, of what we're, we're looking for. Do you see this? I don't know if you can see this. Can you see that? If you can't see it, it's a rock. Do you see it's a rock? <laughs> That's what we call this, it's a rock. You know what though? I could also call it, call it a stone. And what I notice though, is if I, if I call this a rock, it's like there's certain aspects of this object that, that feel to kind of uh, 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 get it, get emphasized for me at least like the word rock right it's the it's almost like the 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 edges of it the hardness of it and yet stone doesn't that evoke something different for you like the smoothness do you, do you hear how both of these words those two words can reveal something about the same experience if we were to really slow down with those words getting a feeling sense of them Rock, stone. And what would it be like to really slow down with an object like I just showed you, to really slow down to see if you can feel the difference of stone and what gets revealed there, and rock and what gets revealed there. Words shape, they give a different sense often of the same, same experience. Or did anyone see the moon this evening? That kind of clear skies here and Flagstaff. I don't know where all of you are. Striking, wasn't it? Beautiful. Yeah. I, I like the thumbs up for the, the moon there. And, and in the same way, if we take the Spanish word for moon, la luna, has a has a, uh, a a certain flavor to it, like like a, a something something particular about the moon gets revealed that isn't captured by the word moon, la luna, or in German, uh, der Mond. Just those two words, la luna, der Mond. They're different. They reveal something different. La Luna is grammatically feminine and uh, Dermond is, is grammatically masculine. And what language it can do is it can begin to slightly shape perception. And I think this fits wor uh, well with uh, uh, just this, this common quote from James Baldwin, which I think is uh, quite striking. He says, the the world changes according to the way people see it. And if you alter even by a millimeter, the way people look at reality, then you can change it. Just to change how people 
see the world. And if you can change it even by a millimeter, then you can change it. And I, of course, picked James Baldwin because of the, the, all the dimensions of where he's thinking about the importance of changing perception, especially around systemic racism, around harm. So important. And Jorge Luis Borges, he says, each word is a poetic wor work, right? It conveys something different. Or we could say that each word is a musical work that offers a different emotional tone or tune. And can you hear that just in the few words that I gave you? Rock, stone, la luna, der monde. There are different worlds there that we can open up to. And, and those of you who know the kind of Theravada path, much of meditation is, is using language to, to reveal these dimensions. Like it's getting a sense sometimes in meditation, is there equanimity there or not? What's the feeling sense of something like equanimity or tranquility? Or the quality of rapture or delight? It's pity, it's, it's called. Oh, there's a little bit of rapture here. Oh, interesting. So it's, it's, it's getting exposed to these different words to get a feeling of them, to kind of bring dimensionality just into the meditation. So language can reveal and deepen experience. So language opens up something up, I think, at least for me. And, and if taken poetically, it's extremely helpful because then I'm not fixating these notions, becoming rigid about them. And I think William Faulkner speaks to this through one of his characters in his uh, novel, The Town, his character, Gavin Stevens. And Gavin Stevens says this, and, and uh, again, I think this is about the poetic. He, he says, poets are almost always wrong about facts. That's because they're not really interested in facts, only in truth, which is why the truth they speak is so true that even those who hate poets by simple and natural instinct are exalted and terrified by them. So with this quote, I want to be clear, a poet is a, 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 a poet not being interested in facts is an entirely different process than an unskillful politician not being interested in facts. And this distinction is very important. A poet is not interested in facts because they're attempting to reveal something true for our hearts. Whereas an unskillful politician is not interested in facts as a way of sequestering power and domination in a harmful way. And we unfortunately see too much of this in this world, this dynamic born out of greed, hatred, and delusion. So I wanna make that distinction the, the poet is keen on what's true for our hearts, which might be different than a fact. Let me give you an example of this. Of a poetic expression that reveals something that can be true for my heart that isn't necessarily factual. And I want to share with you a poem, a short poem by, by uh, Javier Galvez. 
there's the poem he says the sun this minute he said he begins the 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 title of the poem is this morning he says this morning the sun broke my window and came in laughing so again this morning the sun broke my window and came in laughing Can you hear just in those kind of those simple words in that short poem, the full rich felt experience of a beautiful morning? For me, that poem reveals something about the beauty and aliveness of the sun on that particular morning. Right? The sun, it, it broke my window, it came in laughing. And that's so different than saying the, sun, the sunlight was really beautiful as it came in the window this morning. <laughs> that doesn't really capture the felt sense. Whereas the sentence I just shared with you, we might say is more factual, because the sun really didn't break the window. It wasn't laughing. But if I get caught up in, if, is that a fact or not? Does the sun really laugh or not? Does it really break windows? It kind of misses the whole feeling, the gestalt of that morning, doesn't it? It, it, it? it conveys something true, don't you think? Have you ever had a morning like that, of really seeing the sunlight? Where it rushes in? It's like it breaks your window, and it's, it's like laughing there. There's a truth in those words, a, a, a truth of the heart. In the same way, we could say these, these questions like, is there a God or not a God? Is there something that we can call divine or not? Is, is there something sacred or not sacred? Is that really a true word, a factual word? It kind of misses it, doesn't it? It misses that those words might be conveying a, a, a dimension, a felt sense dimension of experience that's really important for our hearts. Okay, they're not factual, but so important for freeing the heart. What's it like to hold such words as divine or sacred as poetic works? Revealing something about your path of the Dharma or your spiritual practice. Or maybe the word Allah or God or the beloved or Dharmakaya or Buddha nature or love or the angelic nature of experience. And utilizing these, these classical words that we come across, equanimity or rapture or sukha, happiness or mindfulness or tranquility, the feeling sense of them. Not getting lost in factual or not factual or real or not real. So what I'm thinking right now is, let's play with this right now. Would you be up for that? We can just play with this a little bit. Just, just a few minutes, promise. <laughs> uh, 
seeing what this is like. And and again, we're we're not looking for something grand. It's something subtle, like the difference between rock and stone. So in light of this, I just in, invite you to just allow your attention to come inward in some way, like uh, just feeling the body in whatever posture it's in. And to slow down a bit, like with the feeling of the body and the breath. And now I invite you to open to the silence that's here right now. And when I use the word silence, I'm not necessarily talking just about those moments where there's an absence of sound, but rather the silence I described to you about last Friday evening from you, for me which is that silence that you might be able to sense that feels like sounds arise out of. Can you hear that silence? To listen for that silence, the deeper silence right now. And when you open to this deeper silence, it might feel limitless or immeasurable right now as you hear it. It might feel timeless or mysterious. It might feel so much larger than you right now. Just hearing that silence, resting in that spacious silence that surrounds you. The silence itself might feel like it's alive in some mysterious way or that's a kind of presence or awareness. And maybe this silence right now feels sacred. Holy. And as you linger with this silence right now that's deeper than just the absence of sounds, I invite you to allow it to touch your heart, to be touched by it, to be moved by this silence right now. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that experiment.
You can open your eyes and come back to our group here a little bit. Did you get any sense of silence there, even if it was a teeny one? Yeah, yes, no, no. I don't know what I'm seeing there. Good. <laughs> Thanks, Terry. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. <laughs> Great. <laughs> it's just a small taste is what we're looking for. And what I found, why I wanted to share this with you, really also it's because it, what I've felt is if I can touch into this even just a little bit, it loosens the grip of my feel fearful or angry or scared mind at times. It can help my heart disentangle from unskillful ways of being. And I think very indirectly, I think I, I learned to love the world more from these kinds of experiences. I learned to love myself more. And it changes how I meet challenges in my life, whether they be the personal ones or the collective ones. So I think this is, this is one aspect of practice is to be touched and moved by perceiving experience differently because it's so transformative. You know, I, th I think just to end, Nikki Giovanni puts it well uh, at the end of her poem, When I Die. She says, and if ever I touched a life, I hope that life knows that I know that touching was and still is and will always be the true revolution. And if ever I touched a life, I hope that life knows that I know touching was and still is and will always be the true revolution. So may we be touched so that we can touch to create the true revolution. Thank you, thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.